What is the definition of public relations? And what is a publicist? Isn't a publicist only for celebrities? The answer is no. And in this episode of Social PR Secrets, I interview Fabiano Melendez. Fabiano is an expert publicist based in Austin, Texas, and the two of us chat about all of the ins and outs of public relations for brands, some of the pitfalls, and some of the shining stars that happen in our industry. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Social PR Secrets. I am very excited to have Fabiano Melendez here. Hey, Fabiano, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. I can't wait to dig in and just talk about sharing stories about public relations with a fellow public relations pro. (laughs) Yeah, I can't wait either. There's so much to tell. So much to tell and so much just that's even happened in 2020 that has just changed the landscape again. Yeah. And PR has been changing for a long time, I feel like. And I think in the past couple of years with the zenith of like email and the internet, you can't really cold call or like fax people anymore. Uh, Although fax is before my time, but I feel like 2020 accelerated the changes even more. Definitely. Well, before we get into it, just tell us a little bit about your background, your journey and where you are today. Okay. My journey is a little convoluted. (laughs) I originally wanted to be a forensic medical examiner. And so I went to school for forensics and halfway through my first semester, I realized I don't care for the hard sciences. I don't want to do advanced physics three. I didn't know there was an advanced physics one to begin with. Um, And so I sat down with my advisor and I said, you know, I can't, I don't think I can do this. I love true crime, but I don't think realistically I can do this. And so she said, you know, you, you're very well spoken. You came here with a, with an agenda (laughs) to your freshman advisor. I think you should be a publicist. I think you would be great at that. And I, I looked at her and I, I said like Samantha from Sex in the City. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I know. I'm like, uh, so like partying? And she was like, no. (laughs) Um, I took, so I started, I switched my degree plan. I started taking classes in PR and it was the most natural fit in the world. Just, um, the, the critical thinking, the planning ahead, um, being able to talk people out of things or into things or switch things around as needed. The evolution of PR was social. Everything was just a perfect fit. And so I um, decided to go ahead and graduate with that degree. And while I was in college, I had my first PR internship with Circuit of the Americas or Formula One. Um, And then I jumped around and I did internships in tech and lifestyle and celebrity PR. And then I graduated and I've been in agencies ever since. I think describing PR um, when you're when you really don't understand what PR is when you're starting to get into it as as a publicist, it's just a great way to you know very succinctly um, describe at least the public relations that we're talking about. So if somebody can relate to what a publicist does for a celebrity, public relations you know is basically where the publicist for businesses or organizations. Yeah, and I always say you know at the end of the day, publicists are storytellers through and through. Like that's just what you do is managing the brand, be it a celebrity, be it a restaurant, be it a thought leader uh, or a CEO at a Fortune 500. You're in charge of nurturing 
their story and of taking concepts that are not digestible to a mainstream audience and making them fit, making them work for people who have no idea what it is this person does, right? So it's so weird because I feel like PR is like the stepchild of marketing. Nobody really knows what it is. And it, I think personally, of course, I'm biased, right? It's one of the best, one of the best branches of marketing because you're convincing others about why you're great without having to do a lot of ad spend, right? Um, but then that goes into social and a lot of other things. Definitely. And I love the, I, the way you describe it. Public relations is like the redheaded stepchild of marketing because it, re it really is. And it's so funny how, you know, we'll talk to business leaders and senior executives and they'll definitely agree that public relations is a high priority. But when you ask them how much budget and time, and dedication and commitment they put towards it. Not very much. It's the first to get cut. And speaking of stories and people not knowing what it is, when I first started working at a PR agency full-time out of college, I went to a client meeting with my then boss with a client who was on retainer, who was paying, right? They signed contracts. And at the end of the meeting, they asked, so what is it that you do exactly? And I was just in awe because you, you're under contract. You're paying us monthly. I mean, I'll take... I'll take the retainer, but like, I really want you to know what we do. Right. And I've had other clients that are like, so you just set up parties all the time and, and go to events. And it's like, no, there's so much behind the scenes. I mean, you have to be the person who kind of has a crystal ball and can plan ahead uh, before things even go wrong or before they even happen. Definitely. And I also think that public relations falls into the same category as SEO. So, you know, search engine optimization and, and PR can go hand in hand. But again, it's everybody wants that immediate gratification of what advertising can do, whether it's digital advertising or, you know, social advertising. So tell us where you are today. So today I work at Zoker Media, and this is a boutique um, agency based in Austin. And something that I think is very interesting or that we do that's a little different is we believe in the combination of PR and digital. So our clients, some do sign just for PR, some do sign just for digital, but we always emphasize the symbiotic relationship of having both, right? Um, because a lot of the times once you get PR, people ask, well, what, what can I do with this press hit? I love that I'm in Forbes, but I don't know what to do with it. And that's where I would say, you can put it on your website. You can use the logos on social. I mean, there's so much you can do for SEO specifically and, mm -hmm. for, and for building that authority by association for years down the line that people don't even think about. Um, because once you get that press clip, it's like, great, let's get another one. But there's so much you can do with the ones you already have, right? So we emphasize on that. And we also focus on building thought leadership. So something that we've seen, and I think, um, throughout the last couple of years, and I think even more so now, is that people really don't, I don't want to say trust, but don't necessarily put the same value in brands as they did before. They put more value behind the person behind that brand. Mm -hmm. So you think, right, so you think of brands like Outdoor Voices and their former CEO, <laughs> Taylor Haney, I believe that's her name, and a lot of other brands you think of the CEO or the person behind it. So something we also focus on is building up that thought leadership um, for those entrepreneurs and small businesses that are doing things differently 
and building them up as authorities in their respective spaces. So when you think of their brand, you think of them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the things that I wanted to touch base on um, is diversity marketing and PR. Yep. <laughs> so that's, tell us about what you're experiencing with that and what you're doing with clients. Yeah, well, part of the reason I focus on this is personal. I, I've been one of the very few Latin women in PR that I've seen in agencies and just in my work. Um, and the other part of it is there's been so much going on in 2020, even before then, that I think there's kind of this national reckoning where we have to sit down and have these conversations, even if it's uncomfortable to talk about diversity and racism and, and inequity, but it's something that needs to be done. And I feel like as marketers, we have a duty to have these conversations because we, you know, whether you're in advertising or PR, et cetera, you're putting forth these brand messages and missions and values that have to, you know, sure, they have to reflect the brand itself, but they also have to reflect the target audiences. The target audiences have to see themselves in that. And so if your outreach isn't diverse, if your strategies aren't diverse, why would anybody want to pursue your brand or hear you speak if you're only focusing on this demographic and not the sub demographics within it. Um, so that's something that I push very heavily um, within the agency and also uh, with clients. And that sometimes means having very difficult conversations as an account manager, especially um, whenever the protests erupted in June and having to tell people or counsel clients and say, you can't post right now. And if you do, you really have to believe what you're posting behind that um, because I, I would feel like I wouldn't be a good steward of your time if I counseled you to just post whatever you wanted, right? Like we, we have to keep a finger on the pulse, but you also have to really believe it. Yeah, it was, that was definitely a very challenging um, yeah. time to be in public relations and social media because it's, you know, like you said, like you, you could get called out for whatever you did. And yeah. if you didn't really believe in what you did, you wouldn't have the passion and the conviction behind standing for whatever you did post or if you decided to stay out of the conversation, there's a reason for that. And it was, I mean, I think it, it really shook up the way brands, you know, didn't take for granted, oh, social media, oh, public relations, you know, it was like, okay, right now they need to take it serious or, you know, it, it's, they're going to go into a spiral. And, Right. And that's another reason, one of my biggest tips for diversity marketing is to look inward. I think, not I think, I know for many years, publicists worked behind the scenes and the whole adage was you're kind of, you work behind the scenes and you're seen, but you're not really heard, right? A lot of publicists back in the day from what I saw and even recently were like, I'm not the client, so I shouldn't be doing interviews or I shouldn't be doing this. And of course that's changed with podcasts and such, but I really think that your conviction and your passion start within the agency. So having those conversations internally and choosing to partake or to be responsible um, or have responsible messaging during situations like this can come a really long way because why would a client, you know, listen to your counsel if you're not implementing it in your agency or in your, you know, if you work in-house in your brand? Yeah, I love that. Um, so any, any other examples of like good or bad examples from the whole that you kind of saw that you, we could just use to learn from? 
Yeah. So I won't name any specific names, but I think everybody ran and got nervous during this time. And so I saw a couple of examples of badly implemented diversity marketing and one of them, and, and it goes into other, other discussions, but it goes into appropriating versus appreciating. I saw brands that were like, let's include, I don't know, Bantu knots and it's like a white owned brand, a white owned, white owned hair care brand, hair hair care brand. And it's like you can't just like rush and try to take all these other aspects of other cultures to fit into the diversity marketing. You really have to do your research because the backlash is bad and the backlash is swift, right? Or brands that um, you know, I saw it with a couple of fashion brands who were normally legacy brands and always had the same you know, five, nine waist model, and that's fine. But then all of a sudden, they're like, let's have more black models and more plus size models. But you could tell there was definitely a, a, a very obvious distinction between their, you know, Instagram posts and their press before the protest and then after. And it's kind of like, when you have such a marked distinction, and it's and, and you do it in haste to try and be on on trend, it's very obvious. And it feels very not genuine. <laughs> yeah. And it, it really is a balancing act because yeah. I mean, I, I, um, some podcasters that are in our space, you know, they got called out for yeah. um, trying to bring in diversity when, you know, they realized that in retrospect they didn't. And, you know, it's, it's, it's such a delicate and I mean, polarizing, I think is a, is a good word, um, yeah. you know, such time right now that there's, it's really hard to please really anybody, you know, everybody, like you're going to get called no matter what. And so maybe you just have, you just have to have thicker skin and you just have to let things roll. And you have to, like you said, believe in it. And also I think there's this really, um, this hesitant, people are hesitant to reflect. I think it really comes down to reflection. So everyone's very swift to act and to say, okay, this is going on. We need to do this instead of saying, we're going to take, take a step back. We're going to look at our internal processes. I'm going to look at what we've done in the past and learn from it and grow and implement, you know, these three things moving forward. So if you're, you know, um, a skincare brand and you only had a certain kind of model at stepping back, maybe um, creating an external message, not necessarily a press release, but some sort of message where you say, you know, we're taking a hiatus for three weeks or a month and we're looking at our internal processes and then coming out, you know, with the public via Instagram lives or something and talking about like, this is what we found, you know, we're holding ourselves accountable and this is what we're doing moving forward. Um, because I think if you just act really swiftly, it also doesn't give you the chance as the publicist or even as the brand to say, okay, what have, in retrospect, what have we really been doing? Right. Yeah. Actually a good example of that is I think it was last week or the week before the CMO mm -hmm. of Facebook just stepped down yeah. and his reasoning for stepping down was to make room for diversity and the, the as, mm -hmm. you know, in the senior level. So I thought that was a pretty interesting move. I mean, I don't know if it's hundred percent accurate, but still it, it, it's, so it's, it's an example of what you're saying, that it's strategic. Um, somebody's actually stepping down. They're making room. It's not a forced type of thing. Right. Well, and, and I work with a client who also focuses on diversity, and she always says something along the lines of, you know, it's great when the C-suite peeps step down and, and try to make room, but maybe it's not about making room. Maybe it's about making the pipe bigger. So 
why should they have to step down instead of just training and bringing in more C-suite execs to diversify, um, to diversify companies and brands, which I yeah. also think is very interesting. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. One of the other things that um, when I was looking at and doing some research, you talked about holistic account management. What does that yes. look like? So holistic account management is something that I'm still learning and that I still work, strive towards, but I made it a goal. Um, I think, again, and I'm speaking more of an agency side right now because that's mm-hmm. where I am, but when you, you work in PR, you have a lot of different roles and a lot of it is external. So it's very easy to kind of smile and, and do all everything you need to do for clients to make them happy. And sometimes you can forget about the internal, right? So there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of different things going on at all times in within an agency if you work with different, if you have two account managers to a brand or you have one person who handles PR and one person who handles social, et cetera. So something I've learned in my career is that truly holistic account management where it's one thing to be really great externally, but making sure you bring that same energy internally so that the processes within the agency or within the accounts um, run really smoothly. Um, And I think that's something that's very hard to learn because as marketers, you get very used to sort of doing everything for the client and kind of letting things fall by the wayside. So it's, it's, it's like a seesaw. It's making sure that every part of your team, both internal and externally are happy and they know what's going on. Um, and I, I refer to it as holistic account management because it is at the end of the day, if you're the lead account person for an account, you're the one that everybody internally answers to, right? So it's making sure everybody knows what's going on. Yeah. I love that. So what are some tips? to um, if you wanted to implement this, even if you weren't an agency model, but just holistic account management? Yeah, I mean, my biggest tip for that would be communicate, 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 which seems so easy and so like, duh, of course I have to communicate, but it's harder, it's easier said than done and it's harder to implement when you have so much going on. So definitely over communicate and take the time to really read through your emails, to really make sure everyone's, your calendar is up to date, to make sure you're checking in with the client and with the other people in your team that are in that, on that account as well, and making sure everybody knows what's going on every step of the way. Because I think the biggest, the biggest mishaps I have seen have been because people didn't double check the lines of communication. And as publicists, you, that's what you do. You communicate internally and externally. Um, I think my second tip is just smile, like just bring in a smile. And I know that also sounds really silly, but I found that even in my hardest day where I didn't get a lot of sleep and went into the office, just having the worst morning, I had a flat tire and it took two hours to get a tow truck smiling and, and thinking about, okay, these are the positive, the positive aspects of the job today these are the things I want to get done that I'm excited to get done for the clients and that I really want to facilitate internally has helped a lot. Um, Because again, as well as you have so much going on and sometimes we get addicted to the stress. Um, Sometimes as, as marketers, we're addicted to like, I have five meetings today and I'm so proud of my productivity and everything I have going on, but um, taking a step back and just sort of, smiling at yourself in the car, smiling at the Starbucks drive-through, thinking about what you want to accomplish helps you really 
again, communicated to everybody else. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like that example. And unless you're in crisis communications, that part of public relations, PR is really the smiling part of communications. You know, it's the positivity and, um, you know, making, finding that positive nugget and that positive story that somebody might not see unless you bring it to their attention. And at the end of the day, it's PR, not ER. You're not. <laughs> Thank God. Sure. Yeah, you're making. Sure. You're not. You know, having to revive people and and you know you got to set those boundaries. I think that's my third biggest one is you've got to set boundaries. If you're the account lead, and you know clients call after five p.m., obviously there are exceptions, but I do not answer. And I I tell people internally, I never tell clients this, but I'm like I'm not their lawyer, I'm not their therapist, and I'm not their doctor. So. If it's after 5 p.m. and it's something small that can be settled in the morning with an email or that we already have a line of communication with, don't don't set that precedent because it will trickle down. If you're the one answering emails on a Saturday when they aren't pressing, they will think it's acceptable to do that to other people in the agency or in-house, and it just becomes a snowball effect of everybody getting calls at 7 p.m. on a Saturday. Yeah, uh, yeah it's. Um, I was just saying to somebody that I do not support codependence or entitlement and or any enablement actually and yeah. by doing that with the clients you know you do it once you do it twice they're going to always expect it yeah um and if you're on the client side listening to this interview i think you know to just empathize for them you know probably what's happening and it's i call it the bewitching hour from four to five it's like yeah. three three thirty three forty five you're like okay cool we're gonna cut out like i'm gonna go get my nails done whatever, because things are dying down. And then like literally clockwork, 4, 15, 5 o'clock, everybody starts calling. And I just feel like the clients, like they're so busy that they just, you know, we're kind of like on the list, but not, the, not, you know, we're at the end of the day list, you know, and it's like when you're trying to call your doctor and you're like so frustrated that the doctor's office is closed from 12 to 2, <laughs> you know, the I only know. time that you can make a call, <laughs> you know, that's what how I related to, but I just, it's, it's just like it's it's one of those things that it's a pattern I think in, in our industry that around five o'clock things go crazy and I worked with people who were publicists in the 80s and 90s who started in the 80s and 90s in the in either coast so they mm -hmm. worked in LA and they worked in New York mm -hmm. and it's just chaotic because I was I worked with some of them in Austin which Austin is, has a reputation of being a little bit more lax which mm -hmm. I like which is mm -hmm. why I didn't move to the coasts to work in PR and and so it was like they would answer the phone at all times and it's like I don't have time for lunch and I, I couldn't believe that because I, I really believe in taking care of number one first you um, and making sure that you you know you eat and you breathe and you take time to prioritize because it does no good for anybody if I'm just in a chaos all the time. Yes definitely we actually I just did an episode last week or the week before and it was on um, PR myths that every every brand should know when hiring an agency. And one of them, you made me think of it, just how the myth of, you know, if you hire a New York agency, they're going to be better. They're going to get bring you better results or an LA agency is going to be better. And I mean, now, especially like that's kind of thrown out the door because it doesn't matter where you live. Everybody's working from home and you can't just like walk down the hall and knock on somebody's office. But it, to me, that's just like, it's, it's a very irritating myth. I listened to that episode. I thought it was very good. But yes, um, 
and I agree. I mean, there's people who are like, why should I hire the Austin agency or the Florida agency or the Louisiana agency? And it's like, well, why not? A lot of journal and journalism has changed. And every time journalism changes, so does PR um, because we go hand in hand. So now a lot of journalists either are out of jobs or they're freelance. A lot of them are freelancers or columnists. And there aren't that many that are legacy journalists that have been with a publication for such a long time that having that relationship matters. I mean, and, and that's why I think that's another myth I want to add is like, we're all best friends with all the journalists all the time. And it's like, that's not the case because no. guess what? magazines fold, newspapers get bought out. So mm -hmm. your contract that you knew for six months is gone and now you have to start all over again. And that's hard, but it's we a, do it. Yeah. It's a constant start all over again in PR for sure. It's, you have to just have that um, roll with it, start over, find the right person, you know, start connecting. And it's just, it's one of those things that you just are constantly starting over and reinventing, I think, also. Well, and I think that's why we're, we're good at what we do, because we're chameleons. <laughs> we adapt, right? Yes, we yes. Are so, you, you have to learn how to communicate with specific people. You have to read the room. And there's journalists that I've known for five years and I still work with and I still, you know, keep it very high level and don't ask how they're doing because their communication style just is very straightforward and that's okay. And then I have journalists that I've known for two weeks and we're like, Hey girl, like, what's up? How are you? And they're, and we communicate that way. So it's learning everybody's needs. Um, mm -hmm. You have to learn PR is really also about knowing everyone's motivations and finding ways to work with that. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love that. And so, um, you know, everybody, when they, a lot of clients, it's like, oh, we want to get in USA Today. We want to get in Business Insider. And so I saw, you know, those are some of the publications that you've helped your clients get into. So what are some tips that you can share of managing the expectations of getting, getting in, in, you know, coverage in USA Today or the Business Insider or the Forbes? And what's, what's the outcome? And, and what, are there, what are some tips on how you can do that? And maybe why you shouldn't be focusing on those publications? Yeah, so I, I'm kind of in this new school of PR where I think micromedia rules all. <laughs> so I love Business Insider and Forbes and I have those relationships, um, but I also think it's worthwhile to look at the blogs and to look at the podcasts and the smaller magazines, the smaller business magazines that um, are published by like independent, not legacy publishers, because a lot of those have very loyal followings. So in terms of getting published and well, I'll start with setting expectations. So clients always want a legacy magazine. It doesn't matter who they are. I, even the ones that say, I don't really read the news. And then you ask, well, what's your pie in the sky goal? And they say New York times. So it's like, you do read the news, you know what you want. Um, I don't necessarily say no, but I am very frank with clients. And I think that's something that's very new school. Um, what I used to see was a lot of posts were kind of yes people, not everybody, but it was like, I will make it happen. Mm -hmm. And now it's like, no, we're, we're partners. This is a partnership. And I want to be very honest and get you what you want, but also be realistic. So I let them know, you know, okay, you want to be in business insider. We can try to make that happen. But I also want to be clear that this is a long lead piece. So I can submit your guest post or I could um, reach out to this editor that I know but it might take three months to hear back and it might take nine months to get published. That's such exactly. a, yeah, that's like so, such a realistic statement that I just wish that 
all clients and actually all agencies had that motto, that mantra, and they were, um, you know, had the courage to say that because I think that agencies and PR professionals and, you know, even freelancers, they might be afraid to say something is going to take three, six, nine months to get, to get the result that you're looking for, but that's just the reality of how long things take. And it isn't about saying no. Yeah. I didn't say no. I yeah. said we can, but we need to be very realistic about what we're, what our expectations are here because, you know, and I tell them like the media landscape's changing constantly. So I know ex editor at BI or ex editor at Forbes or FastCo, um, but I don't know what their editorial calendar is like and I don't know what their timetable is like, but I'm going to make it happen for you. You just have to give me the leeway. Um, and in the meantime, while, we're, while I'm working on leveraging that relationship at Business Insider, let, let's focus on these podcasts. So let's focus on these. They're still top tier. They're a little bit more attainable. And it gives you a chance to, to really hone in on your expertise um, in a more conversational way. And that usually kind of softens the blow a bit because they see that I'm working. They see that we're trying. Um, and it sets very clear expectations of like, maybe we should focus on past podcasts for three months while I try to work on this guest post for you. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And what about reporting? What, what should, what should um, clients expect when it comes to reporting? What's realistic and are there anything special, any special ways that you report on? Reporting as in like monthly, like a monthly yeah. report? Client yeah. reports so, or just what should a client expect from an agency? When I started in PR, we, a lot of the agencies I worked with did the old press clips. So mm -hmm. cutting the clips or having an intern cut the clips and scan them. And then I would send those every month. But I feel like, you know, and also Zoker doesn't operate that way. And I prefer that um, because I feel like that isn't a very realistic expectation. So we report in a more high level way. Um, I won't go into details, but essentially, here are the requests we've received and here are the ones that have been completed. Mm -hmm. uh, and I feel like, and we still report on uniques and circulation and all that good stuff and listenership if it's available and social metrics. But I think it's, I think when we pivot away from the number of published clips only and the ad value, which I don't understand why ad value was ever part of PR. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense to me. Um, once you focus away from that, I feel like it's easier to say, well, look at what you can do with this, um, link that's live or this clip that you can scan and put on the website and establish SEO and share on social media and tag the journalists. Like there are other ways to report that makes it a little bit more exciting and really, um, unites PR and social versus just here's your scanned clip. <laughs> Definitely. And so if somebody's looking into getting into public relations, maybe they're a student, maybe they just want to transition careers, what are, what are some tips that you would give? Don't focus too much on the major, which I, I think sounds a little funny. And I used to be such a stickler for like interns need to be publicists, but mm -hmm. I've also softened because I've learned that some of the best publicists aren't always people who majored in it. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, if you, if you do want to major in something close or have a passion for reading and you do English or writing that works just the same because a lot of publicists work with journalists and we focus on that reading and writing and that critical thinking right um don't be afraid to call people up I think they're okay they're, this is very polarizing but whenever um 
interns or students call or email people and are like, I want to get coffee with you. Some publicists hate it. I think we should all make room for it because they're the next generation of PR professionals and 10 minutes out of your day isn't going to kill you. It isn't going to prevent your conversation with a journal. Like there's, it's not a bad thing to do. So don't be afraid. You know, if you see, you know, a publicist that you really admire on Instagram or Twitter to DM them and say, I want to pick your brain for five minutes or 10 don't make it too long because we're busy, but don't be afraid to do that. Um, also, you know, read. Uh, read the news. And I don't just mean traditional media, the big magazines. Read newsletters, listen to podcasts, really get acquainted with the changes that are happening. If you see that magazines are folding, that newspapers are being sold, maybe it's not of interest to you, but find out more about it because that is going to affect your future career in PR. Yes, definitely. Um, and as far as social media, do you have a favorite social like social media network, or is Twitter still? Are you using Twitter for media relations? I mean, we're, I'm seeing like less journalists as active on Twitter. What do yeah. you think? I use Instagram. <laughs> yeah. So I still use Twitter both for personal use and for professional use, and also for like work for finding journalists and finding stories. Um, fun fact, if you search on Twitter, um, like in search of source, a bunch of journalists sometimes will tweet like I'm in search of a source, and you can get a bunch of contacts and cool story ideas from that. So Twitter is a really, it's like a secret tool. But I love the, the personal aspect Instagram has. Obviously, I don't DM journalists on Instagram, don't do that. <laughs> but um, getting to know them you know, I think now it goes beyond knowing their beat. It's also about what, who are they? What are they passionate about? And do you have a story that they genuinely care about? Yeah, I love that. That's a great example. Any sources that are, that are your favorite source that you want to share? Where do you find your trends and what do you subscribe to? Yes. So <laughs> I read a lot of um, general news. I still read the New York Times. I love The Cut. I love lifestyle publications um, like The Cut. I love business of fashion because even if you're not necessarily in fashion PR, you learn a lot about the ins and outs of a lot of different kinds of businesses. Um, I read like The Atlantic and Wired. I love a newsletter. I think you can understand this, but publicists are really busy. So if it's in my inbox, I'm going to read it. So I'm a big fan of uh, The Skim, uh, The New Set. That one's a little bit new. And The Lily Lines, which is a Washington Post um, newsletter that comes every Thursday. Ooh, those are great sources. I can't <laughs> wait. I am going to go check some of those out, for sure. Well, Fabiana, this has been amazing. So where can we follow you? Where can we find you? Yes, so you can find me on LinkedIn under Fabiana Melendez. I also am on Twitter. I went a little cheeky with my handle, and it's at the PR Bish. Mm -hmm. So it's the other B word that we all know and love, but a little bit toned down for work. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, on Instagram as well. But I, I mostly use LinkedIn and Twitter so for, like, posting. So that's where you can find me. And, of course, um, you know, at zokermedia.com for inquiries or just send me an email. <laughs> Great. Well, this has been super informative. I love 
sharing stories with you and hearing your stories and hearing your social PR secrets. So we will have to catch up with you again on the next whatever is happening in the news to talk about because there's things that are changing PR every month. Oh my gosh, it changes all the time. This could be a whole other conversation is how many things have changed in the last eight months. Right? <laughs> yeah, maybe we should do another episode. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Lisa. It was awesome being on here with this other roster of great publicists and you as well. Thank you. Yes, it's been awesome. And we will definitely keep in touch and we'll, we will follow you. Yes, perfect. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Social PR Secrets. If you like what you heard, check out the book on Amazon or follow our blog at socialprsecrets.com. This episode was sponsored by The Buyer Group, a social PR agency striving to keep our balance in the digital world, practicing public relations, social media, and search marketing, while occasionally drinking a glass of wine or two for the best creativity and results. Thank you all for tuning in. If you would like to get a free chapter of Social PR Secrets, go to socialprsecrets.com slash free.